What's going on, everybody? It's your buddy, it's your pal, Spass Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check, and this is WWE Last Week, your weekly look back at the week that was in the WWE. Now, we're coming off of Fastlane. Uh, there's a lot of stuff coming up. There is Survivor Series coming up. There is Deadline coming up. There is Halloween Havoc coming up. And, yes, for better and for worse, there is a Crown Jewel coming up. So, after Fastlane, both Raw and SmackDown um, had a lot of, I guess, table-setting to do because they've got a lot of time or almost no time at all depending on how you how you look at it but live from Omaha Nebraska we get into raw first because Monday comes before Friday I don't know why I felt the need to remind you of that it's opened up by Seth Rollins who comes out after his match with Nakamura at Fastlane He's he's looking tender, let's just say. Uh he looks like a spaceman because yeah, he he that's how Seth Rollins dresses. He gets people to sing his song, he gives Nakamura his props because he's a good babyface champion. He brags about his win and he talks about all kinds of pain that he's in. He talks about he teases stepping away. He's like, Oh, I hate to tell you guys that I'm not going anywhere. He tried to do the Mark Henry thing. It's it's fine. Mark Henry's still I think Mark Henry still sets the standard for that. He's interrupted by Drew McIntyre. And I'm like, alright, we know Drew McIntyre is is on a heel word direction. But here's here's right away where that doesn't work. Because McIntyre's turning heel in probably the best example of a heel has to have a good justified reason for turning heel. And the catalyst for his heel turn is the arrival on Raw of Jey Uso. Now, Jey Uso is on a redemption arc. He's trying to be a good guy. Drew McIntyre, as a good guy, was fucked over by the bloodline, including Jey Uso. So neither one of them are wrong. Very quietly, under the radar, Drew McIntyre and how they're slowly turning his character is one of the most intriguing under-the-radar things happening in WWE right now, but he comes out and Rollins is doing the party thing and he just kind of stands there. He doesn't attack him, he doesn't insult him, but and the way Rollins does it, he doesn't even really look at him. He's got that, you know, in, in a comedy where somebody walks out of the kitchen and all the dishes fall off the shelf behind them and all you hear is the crash and they don't even turn around, they just sort of stand there with their eyes closed. It's like, like this. He's like, you're not here to party, are you? No, he shakes his head. You're looking for a title shot, aren't you? He nods his head. And he says, all right, I got, I got to be the fighting champion. If I if I die, I die trying and all this. And he's getting himself all pumped up. All right, you go back and get dressed. I'll go back and get dressed. We'll fucking do this. And McIntyre tells him to chill, which is where it's kind of where you realize he's not a heel yet because he's like, no, why would I do that? I'm not an asshole. I didn't jump you. I'm not going to get you while you're clearly injured. I'm going to give you the time. I want you as... He doesn't say I want you at 100%. He says I want you as close to 100% as possible, which is a bit of a distinction. But he lays down the challenge for Crown Jewel, and it's accepted. Now, Crown Jewel, the... And I'll say this always, and after the pot, after the most recent previous pod, I'm going to be careful how I cover controversial stuff... The Crown Jewel shows are not something to be defended, but the work that people put in and the matches that they give you on the night and the show that they put on to you, I don't think you can say is automatically bad because the surrounding effects are bad. If somebody gives you an objectively good match, it's an objectively good match. If somebody gives you a giant spectacle, it's still a giant spectacle. You can have the conversation about all the political stuff and whatever. It's tantamount to, and it's really appropriate this week, you can't say that a Raw or a Dynamite is a bad show just because Tony Khan made it or just because Vince McMahon made it. If, I don't know, Daniel Bryan and Kenny Omega will go out and give you a 10-star classic, but Tony Khan's a fucking nutcase, I'm not going to say that Daniel Bryan and Cody Rhodes didn't have a good match because Tony Khan's a nutcase. And very controversial at the moment. So, what I will say, the overseas shows are big spectacles. This is a big match. I am looking forward to this match. This is not an endorsement of the Saudi Arabia deal over in, obviously, Saudi Arabia. So let me be clear about that for a second. As he's walking away, uh, Damian Priest comes out and attacks him from behind, and Drew McIntyre walks away. This is the part of the Drew McIntyre thing that doesn't work. 
he's getting called a bad guy because he doesn't want to play the hero. And that's... I don't want to touch on how that reflects on, on real life right now because I, don't watch the news if you're having any kind of bad day. The, the whole world is fucked right now. But if somebody does a bad thing to somebody else and you do nothing, you're not the bad guy. You could have been a better guy, but you didn't do anything. And, and the, the good side will say, well, come on, you didn't do anything. And the bad side will say, you didn't do anything. Drew McIntyre, if they're turning him heel, the whole, like, raging out on Jey Uso as he tries to become a good person, that's a heel thing. The whole, oh, totally people that I have nothing to do with on a regular basis are having their own issue over there in the corner, and I didn't get involved. That's not a heel thing. I don't get it. Now, he sort of cuts off my point when... Damien Priest came from the crowd, Dominic Mysterio's coming down the ramp with the briefcase, which only makes sense if they're trying to set up this shot, by the way. Um, it's an awesome shot, but it doesn't make any sense. It breaks. It's um, Kristen and I, when we reviewed Marvel way, way, way back in the day, we said Marvel's great, but it breaks if you think about it for even a second. It breaks if you think Damien Priest is going to go and try to cash in on... Seth Rollins without his briefcase. He would have jumped him from behind with the briefcase. It's a weapon that's built in. It's it's logical. So to have him come down one way and have Dominic coming the completely other way, meaning Dominic was in a completely different part of the arena, no, that doesn't make any sense. I will I will say 100%. I love the Judgment Day and I love what this was because it was comedic as hell. Um, but it doesn't make any sense and I won't pretend that it does. He... Um, he basically stops Dominic on the ramp. I think he clotheslines him, or, or he just like sort of like thumps him in the chest, and he takes the briefcase, and he chucks it, but he chucks it towards the screen, so it just kind of goes up and goes down again. So it, it's, it's a very awkward thing. He's Obviously, the ultimate thing is that he's going to stop Dominic from bringing the briefcase to, to Damian Priest, so Damian Priest can't cash in, so Damian Priest can't get the briefcase. Now... He goes on in an interview later on to say that, yeah, I, I've stuck to what I've said all along. I won't get involved in other people's business and let it, unless it affects me. If Damian Priest had cashed in the Money in the Bank briefcase, that would have affected me. Which is absolutely fine, and it absolutely fits with what they're doing so far. But it also kind of means, now that he's got his title shot, it also kind of means that he maybe doesn't want to face Damian Priest? Because he's deciding that he wants to make sure that Seth Rollins is the champion when they get to Crown Jewel. Now, you can smooth that over by saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a stand-up guy, Rollins is a stand-up guy, he deserves to be champion, he deserves to have this match with me at Crown Jewel. But you can also spin it as, uh, I think my chances are better with Seth Rollins than they are with Damian Priest. Also, there's a, there's a group behind Damian Priest as well, so that kind of works. Let me just tell you, I'm 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 out of the book on this one. Kofi Kingston versus Ivar in another Viking Rules match, and I just don't care anymore. WWE doesn't care anymore either because they didn't even have the vote this week. It was a singles match. The New Day Viking Raiders thing, it, it's dead. It's dead in the water. I like the Viking Raiders. I in the time that I've been up here on YouTube, I've given I've given uh, specifically Kofi Kingston, but the New Day, I've given them a lot of shtick now and then. They're all great athletes, they're all great wrestlers, and this was a fun match for what it was. And, and uh, Ivar, who's really tapped in recently to doing the high-flying big guy stuff, is awesome. But there's no there's no meat on the bone, and I'm not trying to make a funny joke about that. There was some weirdness on the outside with Xavier Woods and Valhalla, and Xavier Woods gets plastered sideways into a guardrail, and Valhalla, because WWE are pussies and won't do intergender wrestling, she can't actually do anything, she's just out there being weird. And the people on Twitter who refuse to go away, who are mad that Sarah Logan has a job, who need to get a life, um... That's weird. It it all comes together in this very weird pot. Uh, Ivar is is an awesome wrestler. He's an awesome big guy. Um, when you talk about big guys that break the mold of what a big guy is supposed to do. Now, we knew this back in NXT. For those of us that were watching NXT in the TakeOver days, hey, most recently I just brought up another episode of uh, NXT Rewind, so go check that out. But we know that he's great. We know that Kofi Kingston's a star. I didn't like him as world champion. I laughed my ass off when Brock Lesnar put him back in his place. 
but they're great wrestlers. I should be more excited for this than I am, but I've seen these tag teams and these different mixes of people for weeks and weeks and weeks, and they've done the the Viking Rules match to death. It was awesome! And then it was less awesome, and now it's just there, and they don't have the boat anymore. And who thought in 2023 my, my complaint about a wrestling match was going to be, where's the boat? Like, that's weird. And like I say, the fans that are coming out of the woodwork for Valhalla, who is basically just a manager at this point and not in, not affecting your enjoyment of the show at all. Oh, she doesn't wear shoes. Lots of wrestlers don't wear shoes. Just admit that you're uh, one of a couple of weirdos out there that think because she believes things differently than you that are totally outside the spectrum of wrestling that she shouldn't have a job. That's weird. Stop doing it. In the back, Nakamura is being interviewed and he gets jumped by Ricochet, which is awesome. Uh, elsewhere in the back, I should say, uh, Rhea Ripley walks in on Damian Priest, and he's choking the shit out of JD McDonough. She breaks it up. She announces that she just got back from Pierce's office, and they've got a rematch for the titles next week, which is great. Finn Balor, Damian Priest, Cody, Jey Uso. Everything's cool. And she turns her attention to JD, basically tells him to fuck off. He's got a match with Drew McIntyre tonight, and he needs to prove himself to the Judgment Day. So, she's sending him to the gallows. She's making tag team title matches. I think Rhea Ripley is the general manager of, of Raw, but that's that's neither here nor there. Speaking of Rhea Ripley, the, the antithesis of Rhea Ripley is a match between Nia Jax and Raquel Rodriguez. Now... I get it. WWE are doing this whole monster mash thing right now with Jax, Raquel, Shayna Baszler, and Rhea Ripley. But these are the two in that four that I don't care about, so I didn't care about the match. I, I just didn't. I mean, we want Ripley, Baszler. We're going to get to that in a second. Nia's big and Raquel is strong. Repeat. And they brawl to a no contest. That's that's it. That, that, that's really it. Um... Rhea comes down after the match and takes them both out, which is awesome, and then she's so focused on taking out the two of them that Baszler joins the fray and takes out Ripley. I've said it. I'm incredibly biased. I'm incredibly biased, and you know how everybody else you know how everybody else is insisting that Cody needs to get that rematch at WrestleMania against Roman Reigns. I am like a dog on a bone with this. I think we're going to get it in Saudi Arabia, which is kind of a bummer, and later on we find out that we're actually going to get it next week. On a big four pay-per-view, I need a proper, uninterrupted, one-on-one -on -one match between Rhea Ripley, Shayna Baszler, the ones that, in the Wednesday Night War, headlined the NXT that beat Dynamite. I need that. Rhea Ripley is a star. Shayna Baszler should be a star, and she's only not because WWE really dropped the ball with her. A lot. <laughs> we need that. This is the thing you're going to hear me harp on. I've harped on it. I've done a, a totally separate topical video on how you get to WrestleMania with these two. And what they're doing right now isn't that far off, but go go check it out if you want. Um, I lost my place. Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso come out, and they, they're talking to Michael Cole about the, the win that they had at Fastlane and the fact that they're the new tag team champions. First and foremost, by God, I wouldn't normally say this, but check out the press conference, because the two of them are loaded, and it's hilarious. And if they keep up this, like, they're the party group, they're the, they're the good time guys and whatever, WWE, I never thought I would say this, WWE is turning me around on Cody Rhodes. As long as he doesn't do the weird shit that he, does, that he usually does, he brings up that his wife is a different color, and hey, you guys liked my brother, and you guys liked my dad, so you should like me, and... I think even he recognized that after he did that in AEW, like, that was kind of problematic, but it still kind of comes through sometimes. If he can ditch a couple of those key, like, don't lean on your dad, don't lean on your brother, enough people like you for who you are, obviously, but don't don't lean backwards is, is the thing. But I will say, in general, the way they and it's only been a week, let's be real, the way they presented him and Jay at Fastlane and moving forward. You guys know how I feel about Jay. The whole Bloodline story is about Jay. Jay should be the one to take the title off of Roman instead of Cody. Now that they're a tag team, that could be an interesting story to play with. But, WWE, congratulations, successfully turning me around on, on Cody Rhodes. So we'll, we'll do that. Michael Cole was kind of a dick in this interview because he's like, yeah, 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 you got the tag team titles, but uh, what about finishing the story? I mean, you were you were so close at Mania, remember that? And he's just he's just egging him on. He's just egging him on. And they're interrupted by Sami and KO. Now, apparently this was an, uh, a, a production error, but they came out to Sami Zayn's old uh, heel theme music that he was using when he was in the Bloodline. 
That was funny. And he even says it. He's like, oh, man, I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> that was great. Uh, Sammy and KO talks about the brief recent history of the Tag Team Championships, how they uh, won them at WrestleMania from the Usos and lost them to Judgment Day and blah, blah, blah. Um, but right now, you guys are the champions. Right now, that's the story. Congratulations on your win. I can't help but think it should be me and Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens obviously grabs the microphone and says he's not mixed about it at all. In fact, I bet Jay can't stand the idea or the possibility of losing those titles to us twice. Uh, he goes on to imply that he knows Cody and Jay won't accept the challenge, to which Cody, in fact, does accept the challenge for next week. By the way, next week, we've already got Rhea and Baszler. We've already got this match set in place as well. Um, what's it called? What's it called? What's it called? Or sorry, no, they're going to have that tonight. The Rhea Baszler thing is, is next week, and the Judgment Day thing is next week as well. Next week is the season premiere of Raw, and it's and it's going to be the same as when we talk about the season premiere of SmackDown on the tail end of this episode. Oh, why do they call it a season premiere? It goes all the year. Why do you care? Wrestling companies, no matter who you are, there are special episodes of Raw. There are special episodes of SmackDown. There are special episodes of NXT. There are special episodes of Dynamite. There are special episodes of Rampage, even though nobody watches it. There are special episodes of Collision. I'm sure there are special episodes of Impact. I don't watch MLW, but I'm sure they have special episodes. They just put a title on it, and they just use it as an excuse to have one or two more big matches than usual. That's what they did on Friday with some of the announcements that were made, and that's what they're doing on Monday by loading up a stacked three-hour card. It's not that difficult to understand. So Cody accepts the challenge for tonight, knowing already that the winner is going to have to face Judgment Day next week on the season premiere of Raw. Let's go! Next up, we've got a uh, triple threat match for the number one contendership to Gunther's Intercontinental Championship. It's supposed to be Ricochet versus Gable versus Bronson Reed. Now, while Gable's making his entrance, or sorry, well, uh, but, but I've lost my place. While Ricochet is making his entrance, he's attacked by Nakamura, who he attacked earlier, except Nakamura hits him with the GTS. Survivor Series is in Chicago. That's all I'm saying. Uh, two on one, uh, the face the face is taking on the one heel through most of the match, taking on Big Bronson as Big Bronson tosses them both around. Uh, Gable tossing Ricochet at Reed at one point was great. Gable suplexing Reed because Gable is a fucking monster. Um, but on the other side of the coin, Ricochet selling his injuries. Gable, eventually the size thing does catch up with him. Sent on Tsunami. Reed gets the win. It's Reed versus Gunther next week on the season premiere of Raw. And if it bugs you, I'm going to say it more. Becky Lynch is in the back, and she's talking about the fact that she's going to be defending against Tegan Knox tonight, the NXT Women's Championship. Now... There's a lot of crossover with NXT right now. I know there's a bigger conversation about that, especially coming off of Tuesday. But Becky Lynch doing the NXT uh, championship thing and using it to put over not only people on NXT, or sorry, not put over, I guess, because she's still the champion, but to put a, a, a highlight and a spotlight on not only the women of NXT, but the women on the main roster that aren't really getting anything else is a really cool thing. The interview's over, and she's randomly confronted by Zia Lee, who says, where's my title shot? And it's like, where the fuck have you been? <laughs> I like Zia Lee, don't get me wrong, I think she's cool. When they had her coming out on SmackDown, making sort of like the comic book hero entrance, I thought that was really cool. But seriously, where's my title shot? Who the fuck are you? <laughs> That's gonna happen, I guess, on the... Did they announce that? I don't know, I don't think they did. They never confirmed that. I never wrote it down. If they've confirmed that, I don't know. I don't know. She's going to maybe have that match next week on the season premiere, and that's all right. Zia Lee, like I say, if um, I'm going to say this a lot, if you've seen her in NXT, she's pretty damn good. She deserves a spot, and Becky giving her a spot would be cool. Drew McIntyre versus JD McDonough is a squash match. JD McDonough and Dominic Mysterio came out together, and it's weird because it's like J.D. McDonough and Dominic Mysterio are are the... What do you want to call it? I've lost my train of thought again. That's really terrible. Why do you guys listen to my podcast? Dominic Mysterio and J.D. McDonough are the Judgment Day sort of B-team. 
which is which is really interesting considering Dominic's with Rhea and Rhea's sort of the leader of the whole fucking group. Where does that leave Finn and Priest? I don't know. The size and power advantage between these two is almost hysterical. The I swear to God, go back and watch this match. The back body drop that Drew McIntyre does on JD McDonough just just pull the kid out of the rafters. Like I mean, Drew McIntyre is a powerful guy, obviously. He's a tall guy, obviously. But JD has to know how to take that and sell it and sell the flail and all that. It's, it's, you know that thing where you're at a funeral and everybody starts joking around and laughing to break the silence because it's awkward. Like, it's that kind of funny to me. Um, JD does have a good plan. He goes crazy on Drew's knee with chop blocks and knee breakers and dragon screws. Even on one leg, Drew McIntyre is absolutely killing him until there's a cheap shot by Dom. There's an inside-out moonsault by J.D. McDonough, which is awesome. J.D. McDonough does this thing, and the best way I can describe it is a frog splash-style knee drop to Drew McIntyre's knee. Now, none of that's going to matter. Future shot, Claymore, Drew gets the win. None of it's going to matter because the whole story is that Rhea Ripley sent J.D. McDonough to the slaughter against Drew McIntyre. So none of that's going to go. I really do want to single out Drew, uh, J.D. McDonough for praise here, though, because the, his part of the match, where he's still sort of playing that character from NXT that likes to dissect a body part and whatever, he fully did that in this match. It didn't matter, but he did it. And it was with purpose, and it was with intent, and it was believable for whatever believable means these days. Drew McIntyre gets the obvious win, because he's the one that's got a title shot in a couple weeks. We go to the back where DIY, after their reunion last week, was interviewed by Wade Barrett, and the interview was cut off when they get the absolute shit kicked out of them by Imperium. That's all that happened. I was really hoping that after they had their reunion last week that they were going to have a match this week, even if it was against, like, jobbers. Like, hey, let's remind you what uh, DIY can do. WWE dropped the ball on that, in my personal opinion. But it is funny that they're in the middle of an interview talking about why they brought DIY back, how it was such a passionate thing from NXT. They managed to main event pay-per-views for those tag team championships and all that kind of thing. Eight, uh, sorry. DIY is bigger than the sum of its parts, etc., Johnny Gargano's mid-sentence, and he eats a boot from one of the Imperium guys. I'm assuming, again, I didn't write it down, so maybe they didn't announce it. I'm assuming that's a tag team match we're getting next week as well. We get a video package on Tegan Knox because she's got her title shot coming up shortly. And then Adam Pearce talking to Ricochet grants him a Falls Count Anywhere match with Nakamura when, say it with me, on the season premiere of Raw, Rhea Ripley... Uh, is talking to Drew McIntyre in the background of this shot, too, because Triple H likes that as a, as a little storytelling trope. And then you've got Becky Lynch versus Tegan Knox, two Raw superstars for the NXT Women's Championship, which people crow about. But, I mean, uh, Eddie Kingston is the ROH champion. Moving on. Really, really simple to start. And I would, I would say to people that say this match started off really slow and kind of boring, I would kind of grant you that. Um, it's really, really simple chain wrestling to start. And... I land on this sometimes, and it really showed in this match. Both of them looked like they were having a blast in this match. It was really nice. There's no real advantage. Uh, they both escalate kind of mutually, as, as a match should be. Tegan, though, um, with a little bit more of a smirk on her face, she manages to block a lot of what we know as the Becky Lynch um, signature offense. Tegan reverses a disarmor into a buckle bomb and into a fallaway pin attempt, which was really gorgeous. Um, Becky Lynch gets control back and wins with the disarmor and sort of pays her her respect after the fact. In the back, Natalia is trying to pump up Tegan after her loss. Hey, you know, you lost, but you put on a hell of a show. You're going to have another gold opportunity in your future. Uh, Katana Chance and Caden Carter are there, and they try to boost her up too. And again, like Zia Lee, I'm saying like, hey, you ladies are awesome. Where the fuck have you been? Can we have a bit of that, please? And then they get laughed at by Chelsea Green and Piper Niven. Uh, Natty threatens Chelsea, and then Piper Niven steps in to be the Diesel. So one of the things we are getting this week on Say It Loud, Say It Proud, the season premiere of Raw, is Natalia versus Piper Niven. I really like Piper Niven. I don't know what this is going to do for Piper Niven. With all due respect to Natalia right now, 
I do think Natalia is another one who sort of doesn't get her flowers. I mean, she gets all kinds of respect in the back for how many people she's helped, and she helped train Ronda Rousey in her transition and all that kind of thing. Apparently, she's like, people have said that she's like the mom figure backstage in the locker room, which I think is absolutely awesome. Technically, she's proficient. She's a great actual wrestler, like bell to bell and all that. But WWE hasn't known what to tell you that she is for years. So as somebody who's happy that Piper Niven's finally being featured on the show. I don't quite know what that does for Piper Niven. As well, Rhea Ripley goes to Adam Pearce, and she doesn't directly ask for a match. She's tired of all the nonsense with her and all the other like big powerhouse women. And the way she phrases it, she, she wants a match with Shayna Baszler, but the way she phrases it, she says to Adam Pearce, it's time for me to get my division in order. That is a statement from Rhea Ripley, and it sounds so simple, but it's not just, hey, Mr. Pierce, you know, I'd like to get my revenge on her because she got a shot in on me. No, I'm going to get this division in order, and I'm going to get this division in order by putting Shayna Baszler in her place. That was brilliant. Whoever put that together, fucking brilliant. Whoever, I don't know, what, what do you want to say, like, writer, booker, whatever, like, chose that phrasing and that delivery and that, uh, I guess, spin on the situation... I'm going to beat Shayna Baszler, and that's going to make everybody else stand in line. That puts over Rhea Ripley as the, as the final boss. That puts over Shayna Baszler as her most immediate, as the person she sees as her most immediate threat. And it says, you know, everybody, you know, there's me, there's Shayna Baszler, and the line starts after her. I think that was very, very cool, and it went very under-spoken about uh, earlier on in the week, because that's a really effective way to get that message across. Now... For the main event, I don't have very many notes. It's Cody and Jay versus Sammy and KO, and it was just a great fucking match. It was just a great fucking match between all of them. KO's got his issues with Jay Uso. Sammy Zayn has his former friendship with Jay Uso. They all have respect for Cody Rhodes because, of course, they do. And they win with the Cody 1D thing, which is like a, a, a 3D into a Cody cutter, and every time, he, it's not just this week, they did it at Fastlane, they did it on Raw, and, and later when I talk about SmackDown, they, every time they do it, Cody Rhodes looks like he's dropping himself on his own head, like, I don't know, it's funny, it is, it's funny, I, like, if I could, I would watch that move happen, and I would listen to them at the press conference, because... He just sounds like a guy that's falling down and having a good time, which is fine, which is awesome. But every time he does this finisher that's supposed to be putting away his opponent, he looks like he's tombstoning himself or DDTing himself. I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, yeah, Cody and Jay call them back to the ring. Cody shakes Sammy's hand. Cody shakes KO's hand. Sammy shakes Jay's hand. Everybody looks over at KO. KO finally gives the handshake and the hug to Jey Uso. The four baby faces stand tall at the end of the night. They, they're a group. They're a foursome. They're going go to go to war games. These four, these four baby faces of Raw are all bonded together as of now. What could possibly go wrong? Anyways, I'm going to take a break for a second and then we're going to talk about SmackDown. And we're back for SmackDown. And I'm not going to lie, don't have much notes on the matches for SmackDown because SmackDown was the season premiere. Did everybody live? Did everybody survive? Kind of like NXT had a bunch of WWE stars on a WWE show. Did we survive that? This was a headline-making show. This was a headline-creating show. This was all... It was that. It was about all the moving parts going forward. Um... When I, when I reviewed NXT on a more regular basis, um, I used to say the few episodes after a takeover were very, very functional. Like, nothing blew the roof off, but everything was very functional. And that's what this was. And we got the headlines that we needed and the changes we needed going forward and all that kind of thing. So because that's what it is, I don't have a whole lot of things to say about the matches because the matches were what they were. But before we get into SmackDown, you're saying, okay, there's a story that you're missing here, Spaz. You know, between Monday and Friday, there was a Tuesday. I did do an entire podcast on... Well, I did a podcast reviewing NXT because I thought NXT was a great show. I did another podcast on the fallout of the Tuesday Night War, all the discrepancies and all the controversies coming out of both NXT and Dynamite. I would encourage you to watch it. Some of the stuff that I talk about in that podcast is going to hit a nerve for some people. Some of the stuff that I specifically, um, 
I go into, uh, I rant, let's be real, I rant about the, the MJF Juice Robinson thing from Dynamite and all the issues surrounding that. So I'd love you guys to check out that podcast. If some of the subject matter that's involved in that isn't your cup of tea, then steer clear. Not going to hurt my feelings at all. Um, I, went on, I, I did a bit of yelling. I don't yell a lot on this podcast anymore, but I got, I got yelling about that one because it was, it was really bad and Tony Khan's a bad person. Anyways, please go check it out. I did four different podcasts about that Tuesday night. When, when NXT started loading up that, that episode the week before, I did a quick podcast on that. Then I did a proper preview for it. Then I did a review for it. Then I did a topical thing about the... Um, the controversy, like I say, coming out of it, and the gigantic victory for NXT. Let's let's put that one on the table as well. Beat you by like one hundred and fifty percent or something like that. But uh, as I say in in that pod, there are larger world issues type things going on. So check it out if you want to. Um, if you don't want to be bombarded over the head with real life stuff like crashing into your wrestling stuff and you want to skip it, that's fine too. I also did a really cool breakdown. I've never done, uh, when we talk about the ratings war, go back to the Wednesday Night War and all that kind of thing, I've never done the quarter hour breakdown of like what exactly beat what. So for me personally, that was kind of interesting and, and seeing how all that comes up. Let me uh, ask me what, uh, what I think about demos. Moving swiftly on. Cena opened SmackDown. Let's get on to some happier things. He came out... He was opening up SmackDown. He was happy to be there. He was excited to be there. He was cut off by Roman Reigns and the Bloodline. And, well, I should say the Bloodline. He came out with uh, Roman and Heyman and Solo. No Jimmy. Where's Jimmy? Everybody should be asking, where's Poochie? Right? Poochie is Jimmy Uso at this point. Um, Roman Reigns comes out and calls John Cena a coward, says, you've only been here this, you know, over this period of time because you knew I was going to be gone. Let me guess, you know, people are, you've got people out here calling you the goat when the real goat is gone and all that kind of thing. And, and John Cena says, no, I'm going to throw you a curveball, man. I actually am out here to acknowledge you. You've got it. You've had the title for whatever it is, like 13 hundred and something days. That's like the best accomplishment in the history of WWE. Like I can't stand here and offer you or and offer you a challenge for that championship because I haven't earned it. Now it's Cena being super Cena being super earnest babyface Cena, but it worked in this case. He's like, no, no, you're great, man. I'll, I'll acknowledge everything that you've done. I can't even ask you for a title shot because I haven't earned it. But there's somebody else that has, and he introduces LA Knight. The crowd goes fucking nuts. LA Knight right now, man, is riding a wave. And I'm not, I'm not breaking any new ground by saying that, but holy shit, he's over right now. And just the image. There's a lot in this show where it's that very, very simple, oh my god, so-and-so is staring down so-and-so. And that works. That works when you make people care. It's not It's not the same as just throwing up a fight graphic for no reason and watching how people react. If two people come face-to-face -face in the ring together without even a word being spoken and the crowd goes nuts, that means you've done something to build both of those teams. The best example in the world, when The Shield was still at their hype and when the Wyatt family was still around, obviously RIP to Brody Lee and to Wyndham Rotunda, but when the three members of The Shield and the three members of the Wyatt family stood in the ring and stared each other down for the first time, and nobody said a thing, and the holy shit chants and the this is awesome chants were instantaneous. That's what it was. That was one, that's one of the coolest moments. It's um, when Undertaker came back before a WrestleMania one year, didn't even get a word out, and he was immediately cut down by Triple H, who also didn't say a word, but they both just kind of looked at the WrestleMania sign, and that's all you needed to do, and the crowd went nuts. That was that type of thing. This is a different version of that, because that's just, like, this has been led to, this has been teased out already in, in Roman's absence. LA Knight's opening line of, are you pissing yourself yet? was fucking great. He gets the crowd reaction, Roman Reigns pushes it off as saying, oh, congratulations, in the time that I've been gone, you've taught these people what your name is. Fucking, fucking brilliant. He, uh, the line from LA Knight of, uh, talking to me like that is a great way to get yourself referred to in the past tense. It's fucking brilliant. Uh, the way they shot this, and I, I know I don't go for the production stuff that often, other than when I'm saying, you know, WWE and NXT are great at video packages. The way they shot LA Knight so that 
Roman Reigns was in his sunglasses the whole time. Was pretty fucking cool as well. Before he even got given a microphone, um, John Cena, who's being super... He, John Cena is out there being LA Knight's cheerleader, which is awesome. Not that long ago, you would have legends come back and the current wrestlers would have to kowtow to the legends. And now it's almost happening the other way around. John Cena hyping up LA Knight is great. He makes a big grandiose gesture of handing him the microphone, which at first I thought was a mockery of how Paul Heyman hands Roman Reigns the microphone, but a lot of other people on social media have have uh, sort of coined it as a very, very, very literal passing of the torch thing. And you know what? Both of those things can be true because both of those things make sense because LA Knight eviscerates people on the microphone yeah, like Austin and The Rock, sort of in a in a weird amalgam. But there's a little bit of John Cena in there too. He's just not as nice a guy as Cena as well. Um, eventually, Jimmy Uso tries to jump them from behind. There's a big squirmish between like the three of them and the two baby faces. The baby faces stand tall because, of course, they do. Roman Reigns standing in the aisleway just turns to Solo and says, "You need to handle that shit." Um, you know. LA Knight gets on the microphone and says, oh, for anybody that didn't hear that, if, if you don't speak asshole or whatever the hell he said, this guy's challenged me to a match tonight. Let's do it. LA Knight. Yeah. And then you've got your main event. Hey. And here's what I'm going to say, because there's an argument. There's an argument that gets thrown around a lot. Oh, wrestling, uh, WWE doesn't present it uh, as, as a real show, which, first of all, that shouldn't be the measuring stick at all. But there is a, um, there's a, there's a frame of thought and I think it was originally posited by uh, Michael Sidgwick of What Culture, who it's not a surprise to anybody. I don't agree with on a lot of things, and I don't agree with him on this either. But he's 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 good in his in his logic. I just don't necessarily agree. Whenever they come out, they do the opening segment and they announce that that's going to be the main event tonight. Oh well, what would the main event have been? Well, it would have been the previous match. In this case, it would have been Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso defending the tag team titles against A-Town Down Under, which was also a good match. That would have been a cool main event as well. That's the answer to that criticism. It really is. Speaking of tag team situation, um, now throughout the night you've got Jimmy Uso like all happy giddy that Roman Reigns is back and Roman Reigns kind of looking at him being like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, while I was gone you thought you were the quarterback. Who's the quarterback? Why don't you handle your shit? Etc. It's It gets repetitive, which is why I'm not going to drill down on it, but basically that's the thing, because Jimmy Uso has been the big, big smile, everything's fine guy in Roman Reigns' absence, even though Paul Heyman told him he's not even technically in the bloodline anymore. Pretty Deadly versus the Brawling Brutes. I don't have any notes on this other than Pretty Deadly got a cheap win. They've been doing the Elton Strong thing where he injured himself, and he injured his arm, but he's been been wheeled around in a wheelchair and all the overdramatic stuff. Here's something I'll say. Here's something I say. They're both cringeworthy. Like, they're both equally cringeworthy. The Elton Strong stuff here and the injured Adam Cole, Roderick Strong stuff that they're doing on AEW Dynamite, they're both bad. This is worse. The Elton Prince thing is worse. Um, the fact that they're doing a similar angle on Dynamite um, only draws into stark contrast that what they're doing on Dynamite is bad. In this case, I'm a WWE guy. You guys know that. If you did, if you listen to my previous podcast, you definitely know that. This is worse, and it really makes me not care. Pretty Deadly are like the fun, campy, like nobody really gives a shit heels. They can take a bunch of L's, etc. Brawling Brutes have been doing better stuff on NXT than they've been doing on the main roster, so there's no investment here at all. Pretty Deadly get a cheap win, and we move on. Carlito is being interviewed in the back after his return at Fastlane. Apparently, he's now full-time back on the roster. He's approached by Bobby Lashley. He's like, hey, remember years and years and years ago, we were both here, and I was kicking your ass, and blah, blah, blah. And the Prophet's attacking from behind, and he's taken out, etc., etc., etc. We come back from the commercial break. Um, oh, sorry, Adam Pearce stops just short of them, like, you know, stretching him up against the wall and getting a chair shot to the face because WWE doesn't do chair shots to the face. When we get back from the commercial break, all of the LWO is there, including Dragon Lee. So I'm hoping everybody's saying that uh, the the LWO is going to break up. They're going to do the Santos Ray thing and whatever. I think you can do a really cool thing where Santos and Ray come to blows and have a frustration and show that that doesn't have to break up a group. I think that's a really cool thing because right now. 
uh, I mean, Legato, before they became the LWO, was Santos and Vega and Joaquin Wild and Cruz del Toro. Now you throw in Rey Mysterio as sort of like the, the legacy leader type person, rebrand them as the LWO. Now you include Carlito and Dragon Lee. That's a heck of a force. Nobody's really thinking... When we talk about the factions in WWE, we talk about Imperium, we talk about Brawling Brutes to a lesser extent, we talk about the Bloodline, we talk about the Judgment Day, but every time the, L the LWO come out and do something, they're really making the statement of, hey, fuck off, we're here too. And I think that's really cool. They're, they're seen as the underdogs because luchadors, even, though, even the ones that aren't that small, are still seen as small characters, if that, if that makes sense, but every time they go out and do something, they prove themselves absolutely wrong. Anyways, in the back, there's this chaotic scene of all the LWO around Carlito, like, let's get in medical, Adam Pierce is there with a bunch of officials, Bailey and Damage Control come along and say, hey, why are we wasting TV time on this pity party, which is fucking brilliant, absolutely fucking brilliant, Bailey and Vega get into it, Adam Pierce has had enough, he's like, I'm done with your shit, hey, Charles Robinson, get these ladies to the ring, if they want to fight, they can fight in the ring, they can fuck off, that was cool, that was, that was a realistic uh, response from Adam Pierce, but, yeah, they go and they have the match, the match goes two minutes, Bailey gets the win, um... So it's kind of a bummer. I'd love to see Vega get a push. I talk about Zia Lee on Raw coming up to Becky Lynch and asking for a title shot, and my immediate response was like, where the fuck have you been? Zelina Vega is on our TVs every week, but as a wrestler, the last time I remember her wrestling is the awesome match that she had in Puerto Rico against Rhea Ripley. But what has she done in the ring? Where have you been? That, that kind of, of thing. So it's... It's a bummer that she got jobbed out, but also it kind of reflects where she is as far as the presentation goes. Three-on-one beatdown by Damage Control after the fact. It's kind of It was kind of awkward because EO Sky is trying to like hold her championship on her shoulder and still like awkwardly do some kicks. And Dakota Kai, I don't know what her, her injury status actually is. I know she's healthy enough to be back on the show, but she's sort of given a kick here and there, and that's about it. Charlotte Flair comes out to even the odds. Charlotte Flair running to Zelina Vega's defense in her high heels. It, 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 that's not it. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's great. And Charlotte Flair makes Zelina Vega look like a midget when they stand side by side, which is also kind of unfortunate. But that's that's how all that ends. Everybody online saying, oh, why would Charlotte Flair come down and save her? She's not a babyface. You haven't been paying attention. You are projecting your image of Charlotte Flair onto a show that is uh, that is booking the absolute opposite. So that's on you. That one's on you. Her running down really weird in her high heels, that's on them. You not accepting the fact that she can play a babyface for whatever biased reason, that's on you. But... Let's get some business done now. Triple H comes out, congratulates SmackDown on their season premiere, which I'm sure drove a lot of people nuts. Now, this segment was spoiled for me, both parts of it, uh, on Twitter, but it was one of those, it's spoiled for me, it's not a surprise anymore, but it gave me like an hour to be excited about it before it actually happened, so that's, that's all good. He comes in and he says, there's a man in this ring right now, and he, he doesn't even know why he's here, why I've brought him out. And it's Adam Pierce, and it's like, when the fuck did Adam... Because they shot just Triple H while he was talking, and Adam Pierce must have been standing in the dark. So Adam Pierce was there. He's, he gives him the credit. Hey, like the past three years or so, you've kind of been trying to keep a handle on both Raw and SmackDown, and it's a thankless job, and you've done your best. And I'm going to give you a promotion to the general manager of Raw. Now, that's... Cool, because he's always been introduced as, you know, random WWE official Adam Pierce, But he's basically been the general manager. But they specified that he's the general manager of Raw, and he says, well, with you taking care of Raw, I need somebody to take care of SmackDown. And Dominic Mysterio's music hits, and I'm like, yes, go for a whole five seconds where the commentary says, oh my god. Is Dominic Mysterio the new GM of SmackDown? That would be hilarious. But Dominic Mysterio comes in, he comes to complain to Pierce and Triple H about um, Cody and Jay defending their titles tonight as opposed to next week when they're supposed to defend against the Judgment Day. And he's booed out of the arena and nobody can hear what he's saying. Triple H 
Triple H is king. I'm sorry. He's like, wow, I've always been told those boos are piped in, but I'm standing right here in this ring, and they are loud. Ah, it keeps making Twitter angry. It's great. And he says, I hear you talking about the, the tag team title match that's happening tonight. I hear you coming to SmackDown to talk about what's what's wrong on SmackDown, but you're yelling at the wrong guys. I just told you. This guy's the general manager of Raw. You need to take it up with the general manager of SmackDown. The general manager of SmackDown is Mr. Nick Aldis. And Nick Aldis must have been sitting at commentary because he got no entrance. He didn't come down the ramp. There was no music. There was no pomp and circumstance. He just walks into the ring and he says, hey, Dom, it's really nice to meet you. I'm a really big fan of your dad. <laughs> he just sniped him. It was so fucking good. And he's like, I don't care. You need to, you need to fix this. Da, 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 da. I don't care who you're, what your next, you know, what your job is. I don't care what you're, you plan to do on this show. I don't care about blah, 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 blah. He's like, well, I'm not really here to talk about that right now. I am here to talk about, um, SmackDown and what it means to be the general manager of SmackDown. SmackDown lost Jey Uso to Raw in a trade, and we get a trade compensation later on down the line. Allow me to introduce you to the newest member of the SmackDown roster. Out comes Kevin Owens. He's the newest member of the SmackDown roster. He stuns Dominic Mysterio because he can. Shakes everybody's hand and fucks off. <laughs> Fucking great. Now, the Nick Aldis thing is cool. Nick Aldis also, when he shook Adam Pearce's hand, he was very clear to say, I look forward to some friendly competition between the two of our, our brands. Now, now, I really want WWE to do something that they're not going to do. Now that there's two separate GMs running two separate shows, I want them to do uh, some kind of storyline where Adam Pearce and Nick Aldis are super professional with each other where there's super like there's comp competition but they're super professional with each other when when raw gets a big moment i want nick aldis to to be sending out a huge congratulations and when smackdown gets a huge win i want adam pierce to be sending out a huge congratulations because it'll be a message to that guy on the other side like, hey look you can have competition without having a breakdown on twitter <laughs> I really want them. They're not going to do that, but I really, really hope that they do that. Kevin Owens coming to SmackDown throws all kinds of stories into into disrepair because Sami Zayn just lost his tag team partner. He lost his tag team partner for the purposes of bringing Jay to Raw. So now does Sami Zayn have a problem with Jay? Does Sami Zayn have a problem with Cody Rhodes? Uh, Sami Zayn is going to go on a singles run. Awesome. Uh, hopefully they keep his right music. Um, KO on SmackDown, I'm assuming, is going to go back for the title at some point. Uh, if Kevin Owens goes heel, Kevin Owens versus Rey Mysterio is something I would like to see. Now, news outlets just today, as I'm recording this, I'm recording this on Saturday, have have insisted on two things. A, that Randy Orton's coming back at the Survivor Series, which is awesome, but also that Logan Paul has called out Rey Mysterio for a U.S. title shot. Is that happening in Saudi Arabia? Probably. Nick Aldis is backstage, and he's listening to the, the women's tag team champions talking about how the belts are cursed and how we should get brand new belts in gold. They should be have nice, soft Italian leather and blah, 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 blah. He kicks them out of his office to talk to Charlotte instead. <laughs> Which is great. Chelsea just looks at him and says, this is not a great first impression. Charlotte and Nick Aldis have a have a friendly meeting. He says, look, I saw what happened at Fastlane. You, you kind of got screwed over. And Charlotte even says, as the babyface, he says, yeah, but what can you do? The referee's decision is fine. He says, well, I can give you a title shot next week. Twitter goes nuts. Okay, end of the segment. That's fine. No. Triple H comes in with Jade Cargill, and we get the fucking stare down between Jade Cargill and Charlotte Flair. Now, you guys know me. I don't care about Jade Cargill. I really don't, but I really want to see this match at the same time, because if Charlotte wins that, all the... What, what do we say on this podcast all the time? It'll piss off all the right people. Oh, yes. Cody and Jay have an open challenge for the Tag Team Championships that's answered by A-Town Down Under. Um... All I can really take away from this match is I really want to see a singles match between Cody Rhodes and Grayson Waller. They hit the Cody 1D, and once again, Cody Rhodes drops himself on his own head. Champs get the win. Um, Cody lands on his head. I don't know what to say here. The Cody 1D is, if they're doing it intentionally to be that wacky, then cool. If it's not intentional, then that boy's going to wreck himself. Um, as they leave, though, the bloodline comes out because... Solo Sokoa is in the main event. 
Um, but it's the entire bloodline, and eventually, one person comes out at a time, and eventually you have a stare-down between Cody and Jay and Jimmy and Solo and Roman and Heyman, and it's all very tense, and it's all very, everybody's coming for Roman, except it's really just L.A. night right now. We're just putting Cody Rhodes in the back pocket for later on. Which is fine, which leads to our main event. It's Solo Sokoa versus L.A. Knight. It's a pretty damn good match, which is all I can really say about it. Uh, towards the, I mean, you've got L.A. Knight doing the charisma stuff, and you've got Solo Sokoa doing the I'm gonna kill you stuff. That's the entirety of the match. Jimmy Uso jumps in at the end when L.A. Knight has the upper hand. He tries to get himself involved. He eats, a, he eats an AA from John Cena. Both of them like, literally appear out of the Phantom Zone, because I don't know where they came from, and I guess that's a production thing again, so shout out to them. Um, Jimmy tries to jump in, he eats an AA from Cena, Cena eats a Samoan Spike from Solo Sokoa, but that distracts long enough for LA Knight to hit the blood force trauma and get the win, because he's the guy that's going to be going up against Roman Reigns. Now, it's kind of like... Drew McIntyre on Raw had a comedic squash of J.D. McDonough, but of course he did, because he's going to be going up against Seth Rollins soon. So L.A. Knight gets the win, SmackDown's about to go off the air, and once again, like I say, pretty much out of the Phantom Zone, out comes Roman Reigns, who cuts him in half with a spear and stands tall as the, as the you know, reigning, returning, like, head of the show type of idea. Pretty good. Um, the, the news about uh, Nick Aldis was sort of dominating Twitter for a little bit right before SmackDown came on the air. So there was a bit of me that was just kind of like waiting for that to happen and then the Kevin Owens stuff. I had heard, like everybody was saying when the thing first happened, it's like, oh, I, br I brought Jay to Raw so I myself could go to SmackDown, referring to Cody Rhodes. And then he said, and then the next idea was, oh, maybe Cody Rhodes brought his friend Jade Cargill to SmackDown, and that's not happening either, because she's getting, like, the anti-surprise push, which is really working, by the way. But um, moving Kevin Owens over, like I said a minute ago, it, it changes so much of the story on SmackDown and so much of the story on Raw, because things are more interwoven than they've ever been in WWE, you know, depth, dovetailing, booking, as they say. But it, it is interesting, and it is, it's, it's not, there wasn't huge fireworks. There was huge fireworks when Roman and LA Knight came together for the first time. There was huge fireworks when Cody and Roman came together for the first time since, I think, WrestleMania. I could be wrong. There was big fireworks in the back for a backstage segment where Charlotte Flair and Jay Cargill were in the same place at the same time. Even Triple H standing between the two of them, kind of like he's like silently saying, hey, look at this. Look what I can do. <laughs> hey, Tony Khan, go fuck yourself. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> NXT. One thing I didn't mention in the NXT thing, so I'll say it here. The night that you had to go up against AEW, you had Brian Pillman Jr. and Nathan Frazier and Cody Rhodes and Jade Cargill. And now you've got Nick Aldis, who defended his NWA championship on the all-in pay-per-view that led to the existence of AEW. It's a, it's a big win. It's a big dub for the Fed this week. I'm sorry. Next week, it's the Raw season premiere. Get mad about that, too. Gunther versus Reed for the IC title. Nakamura versus Ricochet in a false count anywhere match. Ripley versus Baszler, although they haven't clarified whether that's for the title or not. I'm sure it will be, probably in Saudi Arabia, which is a bummer. Natalia versus Piper Niven, which will be weird. I think they said Becky versus Zia Lee, but Becky's also getting ready to defend her title against Halloween Havoc on NXT. Crown Jewel, we've already got Drew versus Seth, set in stone, and Roman Reigns versus LA Knight, at least heavily hinted towards. We've also got Halloween Havoc, Survivor Series, and NXT Deadline with the Iron Survivor challenges coming back to look forward to. It's a pretty damn good time to be a WWE fan. Don't you agree? I've been Spaz, your YWC Reality Check. Subscribe up there, talk down there, start a conversation, keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I will talk to each and every last one of you later, but for right now, I am tagging out. Bye, guys.